A high-profile visit to Ottawa started today. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in our country for a two-day visit. The top diplomat's arrival comes as a whole slew of issues are very much on the front burner. There are protests in Iran. There's the tough line from China's President Xi Jinping following his unprecedented uh, third term that he just uh, was nominated for, or at least nominated himself for. Uh, the war in Ukraine and Russia's increasingly threatening behavior. Also on the agenda today, something we don't talk about, which is strange because of how important it should be to both the U.S. and us, is Haiti. Melanie Jolie met with Blinken today to discuss uh, aid for that country. Our foreign affairs minister says Canada is considering sanctions against those involved in gangs in Haiti. I'm not quite sure how that would work, which is suffering from a humanitarian crisis, a cholera outbreak and gang violence. We will always support solutions that are by and for Haitians because we believe in the fact that solutions are better when, of course, they're taken by them and that we support them. Canada has already sent armored vehicles and will order an assessment uh, team to help the Haitian National Police deal with those gangs. Of course, the political situation there has been chaos since the assassination of their leader a while back. Uh, Jolie says the team will keep them in the loop. Blinken and Jolie say talks about possible military intervention are still in progress. And that, of course, comes with all kinds of uh, loaded questions. And all of that comes as the battle leading up to the crucial midterm elections continues. Those go November 8th, so we're getting very close to that. And it could see the Democrats lose control of both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And the impact of that would certainly be felt on this side of the border. To help us out with all of it is Christopher Sands. He's director of the Canada Institute at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars in Washington, D.C. Thanks so much for your time tonight. It's great to be here, Ben. Uh, you pay a lot of attention to this stuff. The Secretary of State's visit now, what, what should we make of the timing? Well, I think the timing is quite deliberate. You might remember that uh, earlier in June, the U.S. hosted the Summit of the Americas. Uh, Canada came, uh, not only Prime Minister Trudeau, but uh, uh, Foreign Minister Jolie came. They participated. They were quite active. Mexico's president did not come. In fact, he made a bit of a fuss over not coming, said he wouldn't come unless Joe Biden invited the president of Nicaragua, Venezuela, of Cuba, and that wasn't going to happen. But the U.S. responded to that kind of uh, snub by saying, oh, uh, President Lopez Obrador from Mexico, please come to Washington. We'll have a visit for you. And I think Canadians really said, well, wait a minute. We came. We were nice, and we don't get – anything. And the response from the White House was, we're going to get Joe Biden up to Canada. Um, He hasn't been physically. They did the first uh, virtual bilateral between Biden and Trudeau at the very beginning of the administration, but that was on uh, Zoom or (laughs) whatever the equivalent software was. So this was something that was supposed to happen. But we're now looking at the end of the year. There are so many summits. We have the G7 coming up. There's the G20 coming up. There are Uh, just a slew of these meetings in the last end of the year. So it may now be 2023 before Biden makes it up. And as you mentioned, after the midterm. So who knows how uh, Biden's agenda will look at that point. And so with all of that in the background, I think Tony Blinken, longtime friend of Canada, someone who really does respect and regard Canada very well, made it a priority to go up to engage the Canadians. And following the announcement of the U.S. national security strategy, which came out last week, make some specific asks of Canada for some help uh, supporting U.S. leadership and some U.S. national interests around, and, and as you mentioned in the setup, in Haiti, Ukraine, and other places. 
Yeah, I mean, Haiti's been a bit of an interesting one because we haven't talked about it much. Uh, we know the situation there has been dire for quite some time. It's been in the news a little bit, but I mean, New York, Miami, Montreal have huge uh, Haitian populations, diasporas. Uh, and yet we haven't been talking about the situation there much. Why has that become something to talk about all of a sudden between our top diplomats? Well, I think there are two factors. One is the situation is deteriorating. Uh, some of your listeners may remember that we had um, we had a president of Haiti assassinated. We had the difficulty getting a new president. We've had 15 months of no no president in place. Lots of factional fighting, gangs taking over the streets. But there was also a, a rather devastating earth, earthquake that occurred there that just shattered some of the infrastructure, the the power systems, the the water systems, and it's made the situation absolutely acute. So a lot of countries have been talking lately about what can we do to help? How do we have to up our intervention? And where Canada stands out, Canada has long been one of four countries. I'd add the U.S., um, France, uh, and sometimes uh, Mexico, who've really focused on Haiti and invested time in making, in trying to contribute to their development. And Canada's in some ways the most consistent because, as you mentioned, the Haitians who are in Montreal and elsewhere in Canada. So. the U.S. is looking with so many crises. You've got China threatening Taiwan. You've got uh, Russia invading Ukraine. The situation is quite uh, turbulent worldwide. The U.S. needs to focus on these big crises, but turns to its friend Canada saying, look, we share an interest in Haiti. Can you take the lead on this? And I think that's entirely appropriate. And it's a way in which we really show that we understand what Canada can bring to the table. And uh, at a time when the U.S. is stretched, I think that's really appreciated, certainly by our Secretary of State. Yeah, what is the assessment in Washington right now about how Canada is contributing to some of the big, big items out there? Um, the war in Ukraine, obviously, uh, but also China. I mean, Canada still doesn't have a, an Asia policy in place. We don't have a China policy in place either. Uh, what's been the assessment of, of Canada of late in terms of how we're helping with some of these very big internet geopolitical issues that the U.S. is facing? I, th- I think there's an appreciation that Canada has been sort of off balance here, uh, starting with Ukraine. Right now, what the Ukrainians need are weapons. I mean, they're running this incredible pushback against the Russian invasion that has been aided and abetted by some of the best weapons the West has in its arsenal. The U.S. has more of those, obviously, big country, and so we've been shipping them over. Some of the European allies that have uh, modernized have some of that same equipment, and they're passing that along. Canada's military is good, but it doesn't have necessarily surplus of the latest equipment. In fact, in some cases, it's it's quite uh, minimal what Canada has. And that's something that Canada's known for a while, and there's been talk about buying new aircraft and other things, and procurement is a challenge. So right now, even though Canadians care deeply about the situation in Ukraine, there's so many Ukrainian Canadians, what Ukrainians need, they can't get necessarily from Canada. What uh, Tony Blinken raised in his meetings with Melanie Jolie and others was, you know, you're going to be so crucial to the rebuilding of Ukraine. They're going to need help rebuilding their nuclear power plants. Canada has great expertise there. They're going to need help getting their agriculture back going. Canada's an agricultural superpower. There are many things that Canada's wealth and commitment will really help with. So focus on that, Canada. You know, we'll keep the weapons going. We're going to help them now, but you need to prepare for what comes after. And that's hopeful that there is an after that isn't you know, a nuclear uh, attack by Putin that leaves things even worse. But, but Canada... I think the dialogue is, Canada, you have a role to play. Prepare for what comes next. In, in Asia, 
I feel even more sympathy, and I think a lot of Americans feel sympathy, because Canada has promised an Indo-Pacific strategy. Um, this is something that Trudeau's talked about, Melanie Jolie's talked about, even Christian Freeland, when she was foreign minister, talked about this being important. But Canada's been waiting to see where other players fall. And the U.S., I think, has made a huge mistake in failing to include Canada, for example, in the Indo-Pacific economic framework that we're leading. Right. On the security side, Canada can't do much in the Pacific. But on the economic side, Canada's a big player, and we've left you out, which I think was an oversight. What Tony Blinken promised in Ottawa today was a U.S.-Canada dialogue on the future of the Indo-Pacific, inviting Canada to be part of that that process to educate Americans about what Canada does care about and where Canada can make a difference. And I think correct this mistake and bring Canada fully into the Indo-Pacific top table because we need Canada. Uh, I think that's that's very clear. I think Tony Blinken understands that. And we started that process of healing, what I think was is a goof on our part uh, in the United States. Yeah, and it was made, there was a lot of hay made of that here that all of a sudden Canada wasn't in, you know, Australia was at the table, but we weren't, um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of backlash against that, not, not against America, but, but against our own government for, for not being invited. Somehow it was the fault of the government here for not having been invited to that table. Um, the, the visit thing is interesting because now I'm thinking back, Donald Trump didn't come here. <laughs> Uh, you know, he went to Saudi Arabia for his first visit. Joe Biden hasn't been here yet. That old that old tradition of American presidents coming to Canada first seems to have been broken. I wonder if it'll come back. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the roots of that tradition are quite uh, boring. It's just that Secret Service always wanted to find out, you know, when they moved with a president, like, who are the weasel aides you better leave at home because they, they misbehave? <laughs> so you go to Canada, you could test everybody out and just kind of put some people on the blacklist. Now, Donald Trump, uh, you know, I think Different as a story. president had yeah. some good qualities, bad qualities, but he disrespected Canada and, and he should have gone to Canada sooner. He did eventually go, you may remember, for the, right. the G7 meeting that Canada hosted in 2018, and that ended up badly. So with him insulting yeah. Trudeau, um, Joe Biden, I, I'm a little more sympathetic to, obviously, with the pandemic and his own health. He's quite elderly, uh, you know, just the way it is. He chose to do virtual bilaterals, and I think that you know that was very much of the time and still when we were at the very beginning in 2021 after his inauguration. But he did make sure Canada was one of the first countries he did just a bilateral with rather than a group meeting, and it, it's taken time. But he's indicated he wants to come to Canada. It's a country he visited many times as a senator and as vice president. He's very fond of Canada. So I think that's, that's a more understandable. It's not a disrespect move. It's just circumstance, whereas with Trump, uh, I'm afraid there was a little bit of disrespect, and, and frankly, he continued that through his entire time in office. Uh, yeah. Not to say he didn't have some good things that he did, but Canada wasn't uh, necessarily well-treated by him. Christopher Sands is with us this half hour. He's the director of the Canada Institute at the Woodrow Wilson International Centre for Scholars in Washington, D.C. We've been talking about uh, Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State's visit to Canada. The midterms, though, going on, I mean, we've been, you know, blanket coverage obviously on the american networks but canadians should be paying attention because there could be some big changes i would imagine to our relationship or at least uh, the way we're viewed by congress if in fact the house of representatives and the senate switches um why should canadians you've talked about this why should canadians pay close attention to this one well well i think actually one of the interesting things about the u.s in the last couple of years is that we have had remarkable even by american uh, recent standards 
a remarkable uh, block of elderly leaders. And I say that gently. I know a lot, some of your listeners are, are in their golden years, but uh, not a single leader, whether we're talking about uh, the president or we're talking about the Speaker of the House or the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, there's not a single one of them that's, uh, that's younger than 70. And that has delayed a real generational shift uh, in American politics to, to younger, uh, younger leaders. Canada, like the United States, we have the majority of our electorate now is millennial and Generation Z or Z. Uh, this is a generation that's faced a lot of a lot of knocks. Obviously, COVID, the lingering effects of 9/11, so many challenges that they're facing in the in their lives, and they're ready for leadership. When you watch these midterm elections, I think you have the best shot of seeing what the next generation of American leadership looks like. And yeah, maybe it's a member of the House of Representatives who doesn't have much of a reputation, maybe in their 30s, they're just getting started in politics. Uh, maybe it's a senator, somebody who's in their 40s uh, making a play for, for for elected office. But those are the leaders of tomorrow. And uh, it's a great chance to see where they're coming from. One thing I've followed in the last couple of months is the way in which there has been a sea change in the way that issues that matter to Canada are seen by the majority of members. And the best example is the Inflation Reduction Act, where going in, we thought, you know, all kinds of harebrained ideas like electrical vehicle subsidies that only applied if the car was 100 percent made in the USA. And I'm not sure there's any car that qualified for that subsidy, but there it was. Uh, now, with the Inflation Reduction Act, we've extended the benefits to cars made in North America, recognizing that we do make cars together and saying that, you know, for critical minerals, we're going to prioritize those countries like Canada that are really reliable, friendly countries rather than trying to source some of those minerals from places like China that play games with, uh, with the supply and aren't all that friendly. So I think there's a real recognition that the economy's changed, that Canada's really important. And you're starting to see that coming out of the Congress because of younger leadership. And this Maybe just a question of control. I think a lot of the media will focus on Republicans rising versus Democrats, but it's that rising generation, whichever party they're part of, that I think signals a change that's going to be good for Canada-US relations. Yeah, it's really important, I think, to look beyond just the, the partisan politics and, and sort of the horse race to what really matters to this country beyond just the usual uh, party politics. Uh, Anthony Blinken is going to a lithium factory in Montreal tomorrow. I'm sure that's no coincidence. Um, you know, Christian Freeland was in Washington talking about friend shoring recently. I think that's probably part of what's going on here. A last question for you, though. Um, uh, there's a Canadian managing a World Series team. Are you going to be cheering for the Phillies? <laughs> Well, you know, Philadelphia is very close to Washington. I, I'm a Tigers fan, and I'm not the best sports guy. My my brother will tell you I've, I've always been the sort of dorky, nose-in-a-book kind of guy, but I've stayed loyal to my Detroit teams. Um, but, you know, the Phillies are very close. Uh, it's just great to see sports bringing people together because there's just so much polarization in the U.S. these these days. There at least is something that we can still cheer about together regardless of our party. And so – if nothing else, I'll be cheering for the World Series for that. Well, Christopher, I mean, I understand your love of Canada, given, you know, Detroit. I mean, the Tigers are basically basically considered a Canadian team, especially if you grew <laughs> up in southwestern Ontario back in the day. I was talking to someone today, and he, they've always been Tigers fans in that part of the province. It's it's remarkable. There's a, there's, a, there's a sort of line that goes through southwest Ontario, and on one side you're a Blue Jays fan and you root for the Maple Leafs, and on the other side it's the Detroit Red Wings and the, and the Tigers. I've never, never could quite figure out where the line fell, but it's a powerful division in Ontario that nobody likes to talk about. 
Exactly. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for your time tonight, for your insight on this. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up uh, once the midterms are done to find out where the cards have fallen. That's great. Thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, Come back anytime.